Thanksgiving to each of you joining us in Facebook Live. We're so delighted you're here with us, either in real time or later as you're watching. We are deeply blessed by the fellowship of God's people. Every gathering of God's people gives us an opportunity to cultivate a way to reach out, encourage, and invest care and words of grace, support, and strength to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, now our, our uh, explorers in Pathfinders class can be heading on down uh, the hallway to their combined class. We're actually, let me share this while we're transitioning a bit here. Um, I want to ask Brother David Berry to hand to anybody that missed it last week. You may already have one, but we have a few left of the special booklets about Challenge Farm. Just lift your hand if you didn't get one last week for any reason. We want everybody to have running out here, but I think we have enough for today. We are partnering, as we have for 20 years, by faith in support of the Ministry of Challenge Farm in Katale, Kenya. But these three weeks of the end of November, we're especially asking that friends will step up and uh, make a, a love offering of missions to this ministry. So it's very simple. All you need to do if you're in church today or, or you want to mail it to the church, write a check to Liberty Church, just put CF on the memo line or Challenge Farm. And it's a special love offering to bless the ministry in Katale, Kenya um, with just our visible support. They have had God's grace on this ministry is just phenomenal in ways that I could never do justice in a few moments here. Uh, many of you have heard uh, when Sherry Thompson has been here, the, the founder director, um, who was a widow at, in the early phases of this ministry, and she surprised friends and loved ones in Charlotte, North Carolina, or Winston-Salem, North Carolina, tremendously when uh, she sought the Lord after her husband went to be with the Lord at a really young age. Rick was an anthropologist, a PhD, who had poured his heart out in uh, giving to the needs of the street children of Nigeria. God birthed this ministry through them, and then Sherry was left as a relatively young widow with this ministry. She surprised everybody, Winston-Salem and Pensacola and other places where we knew her, uh, by saying, the Lord's called me to stay in Kenya. And she's been there this last 20 years, and it has just been absolutely phenomenal, but not without its great trials. And this year has been particularly testing. And we want to, uh, uh, we just want to bless Sherry, but also the team, the, the Kenyan staff. They've, the, the Challenge Farm is a model of indigenous ministry in that virtually everything they've done at every phase along the way has raised up leaders among the Kenyan people. It's just a beautiful example of the best of missions, in, in my view. So we're, we want to bless the love offering. Some of you have already done that uh, this month, and we're grateful for that. Another bit of news. Um, one of the concerns for our church building this year as we dealt with other expensive issues was um, nearing this point where we needed to re-roof this and it's a very long story but through a series of events extra funds have come through a, a number of situations that have brought it possible for us to get this done uh, this month in fact we're going to be doing it a week from now and uh, extra love offerings toward the future fund is also uh, very timely for us. So anytime, whether it's $5 or $500 or $5,000, you can just put it Liberty Church, just put Future Fund on directly to helping to defray that cost. Well, 
enough with housekeeping, and, and we do want to invite you, though, uh, to be a part of those offerings. And uh, we just want to express our thanks again to each of those that are teaching uh, children during this phase. And then starting in January, they're transitioning back to the two classes having the project, the Gospel Project. And um, other teachers are being asked, other volunteers are being asked to step up and get prepared to be a part of that. And so we're really grateful for that. Each of you that have already indicated your willingness to do so, it means so much to us. We're so grateful that uh, boys and girls every Sunday are receiving the nourishment of God's Word. Now, I'd like to ask you to open your Bible first to 1 Timothy chapter 1. This is a, an introductory phrase that uh, just has captured my heart in thinking about a way that we might think, see Thanksgiving in a new light. Above all, we want to see these truths in a fully biblical light for the simple reason, as we saw in the early reading, that man does not live by bread alone, amen, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That, that not only is that notable in a historical way, of course, because it came from the instructions of Moses in those final months of his life when he was bringing to the people of Israel um, a reviewing, a rehearsing, a, a, a second reading, you might say, of the law and an explanation of why the words of the living God had guided them through that long period of journeying in the wilderness and was preparing them for their future. So it's, it's vital for that reason. Man shall not live by bread alone. Would you just say these words with me? But by every word. Would you say that with me? But by every word. So we're talking about the fact there's a totality. There's a comprehensiveness, we might say, to the Bible, to the word of God, that, that no human... Uh, whether in one worship service or in, in a whole seminar or a, even a seminary education or anything else, we can never do justice to the magnificent gift of the Bible, the Word of God in our lives. But today, what we'd like to do is look at the giving of thanks, the gift of gratitude, in the light of what does the Bible tell us about what this does, the, the focus of this gift, and then what it does in our lives. And and I'd like to ask you to think about it first in this light, how drab, how colorless, how lifeless, how dull, how boring, how pointless would life be if we did not grasp how much we need God every day. Now, we don't think of it this way a lot of times, but when we hear the virtues described in the Bible such as, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you, then we're being given by God timeless treasures that bring rich, vivid, colorful insights into our lives. We might say that on the canvas of our human life, Almighty God has already prepared a way to paint a unique portrait. Yeah, it's unique because it's about you. He draws from his infinite resources of color and diversity and, and individualized expression, and Almighty God paints a masterpiece, and he uses the colors we provide from our own lips. We become, in a partnership with God, if we have a living daily relationship with Jesus Christ, 
you and I become a part of the process of the, of the fullness of that life, that life that our Savior died on the cross and rose from the dead to give us. Now, Paul the Apostle is a classic example of what I just said. So I want you to look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, because this passage of Scripture shows us in the life of the Apostle Paul a, uh, a deep conviction. The conviction Paul had, Timothy 1, 12, was that he should thank God for the way he had been apprehended by the Lord Jesus, looking back to Paul's experience on the Damascus Road, of course, 1 Timothy 1, 12 shows us the way that Paul saw this great experience of being directly associated with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is not incidental, it is, in fact, integral to Paul's view of how the grace of God works in our lives, that he was very, very thankful. Look at those first three words of 1 Timothy 1.12. I thank him. Would you say it aloud with me? I thank him. Now, this is not a throwaway phrase for Paul. This is deeply embedded in all the grace-empowered truth that the Apostle Paul gave us throughout the epistles. There are many other examples. And... Um, one of those examples is how he introduced his letters to the churches. I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you, he said to the Ephesians and the Thessalonians. And in the heart of the book of Romans, in Romans 6:17, Paul described the summary of, of what it means to be born again. What we talked about just two weeks ago, that personal living relationship with Jesus Christ, and he inside of an envelope of thanksgiving. Here's what he said in Romans 6, 17. But thanks be to God that though we were slaves to sin, yet through the grace of God in the resurrection of Jesus, we have now been entrusted to him who has made us new creation. So this is God's gift. Thanks be to God. And, and again, it's consistent with his own testimony we see here in 1 Timothy 1.12. Read those three words aloud with me again. I thank him who has given me strength. 1 Timothy 1.12. Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Now Paul in verse 13 looks back to where he came from. And oh, is he thankful for what God has delivered him from. It parallels what he says in Romans 6.17 as he teaches us what it means to be free. What was Paul formerly? Look at 1 Timothy 1.13. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. Would you read that now just from the screen, that phrase? And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. Now, I, I know I'm not guessing. I know I'm on certain ground when I look at each of you today. And I ask you if you can say that with your whole heart. 
I know I can. I know you can all say it. Say it with me. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. <laughs> I've often said I'm not a, I'm not a half glass empty guy, and I'm not a half glass half full guy. I'm a glass overflowing guy. Because the grace of God overflowed for me. And what does that mean for us in the sense of painting this canvas of the individual life that God has for each of us? Well, I, I want to suggest to you, if you see that in 1 Timothy 1.14, that the Apostle Paul references his own life, and he actually uses an, a, a word in the middle of verse 16. You might just want to note it or circle it, where he says, that Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example, if you'd circle that word example, to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul uses a word there, tupas, a type, meaning that his life, because though all the circumstances are unique in every life, Paul was saying because of the dramatic deliverance he experienced from a life that was set resolutely to defeat the work of Christ. And Jesus, in his risen glory, gave the Apostle Paul that, that um, awesome miracle of, of the scales falling from his eyes and, and Paul seeing and understanding, Lord, what would you have me to do? Jesus said, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. And Paul then heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that seed that was planted in him when he was baptized in the house of a humble and otherwise unknown disciple named Ananias in Acts chapter 9 that Paul then moved into the desert of Arabia and for 14 years was schooled in, in the word of God and found the purpose that, for which God had called him. Now, all of our life circumstances are different, of course, but Paul says this in verse 14, in verse 16, in an interesting way. He says that Jesus chose this unique man for one reason, for many reasons, I'm sure, but one of those being that he would be a type. He would be, we might call it a prototype today, that if this could be true for Paul, oh my, it can so be true for you. Now, Paul summarizes the way that this produces an attitude of gratitude in his life. And we want to focus today on four aspects of how a grateful heart adds vivid color, the richness, the diversity, the beauty, the individual expression that makes our relationship with the Lord Jesus a model. That is, we can be a part of this this uh, ongoing work of art, let's say, that Paul describes as being made a model of how God's mercy works. And the reason I think it's significant on Thanksgiving week, especially, is that we might be in danger at times of trivializing this wonderful truth of thanksgiving. The word thanks occurs 101 times in the Bible, and the word thanksgiving about another 43. So let's just say round it out about 150 times that the Bible uses this word thank or thanks or thanksgiving. And one of the things that sometimes happens because of overuse is we lose the sharp edges. We lose the defining 
artistic touch of God on great Bible words. Thanks could be one of those. It could just be trivialized down and watered down to something as, as, uh, as mundane as just saying, oh, oh, yeah, oh, thanks a lot. Thank you. You know, yeah, yeah, thanks for the tip. Thanks for the open door. Thanks for the gift. And, and, and not, those things have their place, nothing wrong with them. But the Bible brings us a much richer and fuller picture of what really giving thanks is all about. And, and so when we read in Colossians 1.12, I'd like you to read this one aloud with me, we get a hint as to the way the Apostle Paul, the kind of gratitude that arose out of the heart of, of, of a man who came to realize how empty, how desolate, how destitute, his real, the condition of his soul would be had he not had those scales that fell from his eyes and his eyes opened to see the magnitude of the glory of who Jesus is. So even for us, the redeemed children of God, even for any person who's hungry to know God, he gives us this insight in Colossians 1.12. Read it aloud with me. Giving thanks to the Father who made us fit to be partakers of of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, this text tells us that through the grace of God, God has placed us in a privileged position. And giving thanks well, even as we give thanks for the common blessings of life, for our food and our homes and our families and our loved ones and the gift of this great country that God bequeathed to us as a land of freedom and opportunity, a land anchored in a, in, a, in a great constitution, guaranteed in spite of all the horrific contention and conflict that we're seeing around us today, the, the rock-solid foundation of this country was a gift from God. And the fact that it's, resol- it's resiliently standing through the storms of this current cultural crisis reminds us of what a great gift the Constitution of the United States was, the Declaration independence, the gift of the founders. And that's a part of Thanksgiving week, our understanding. God, thank you that you gave us, you bequeathed to us a liberty, the liberty of the individual conscience, the truths of the separation of powers, the balance of powers, all of those things that are a part of the Constitution of the United States. No matter how loud the voices of contention and the screaming and uh, antagonisms that we see in our culture today, that gift of God, something we should be thanking and praising him for this week. But along with all of those things, there is a, we might call it a, there is a summit peak of of giving of thanks that comes from the heart of the Apostle Paul, and he expresses it in a very concise way in this verse. Think of it like this. Paul says, above all, for America, for my home, for my loved ones, for my family, for Wonderful marriages, wonderful children, the gift of God in friendship, the gift of the church, the gift of walking in homes and buildings and being relatively comfortable in climate-controlled buildings, the gift of driving an automobile 70, 80 miles an hour. Oh, wait, it's supposed to be just 70. Uh, 70 miles an hour down a highway, heading to your destination. All of these things, I mean, and my list could go on. And I hope that during this week, many of us will be making more lists of the things to be thankful for. But to wrap all of it up in an understanding that the highest of all points of gratitude is giving thanks to the Father who through Christ invited us to be partakers of an inheritance. An individual, 
an inheritance that's invisible to our natural eyes, but is so powerful that Paul summarizes it in that very, very intriguing phrase, the saints in light. Let's say it this way. There is a Klieg light. There is a blazing light of God's grace that envelops your life today. God says, through Christ, you're in the light. Hallelujah. Delivered from the power of darkness, the following verse in that text says, delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So we can all today say, Lord, may I start my Thanksgiving week first on the solid ground of praising you that in Christ you've provided a place of full salvation, of full forgiveness, a place where my heart can be released from the chains of my own self-saturated sin, and I can be set free to be a loving and freely motivated worshiper of Almighty God. So I want to ask you to think about that giving of thanks in light of the way that colors would be diffused from a pure ray of white light through a prism. A prism, a little object of transparent body of a solid figure that has parallel edges, various facets of what makes a prism a prism. Part of it is the shape and the, the parallel edges. But it's, it's often of glass. A prism is something that usually has triangular ends. So this is pictured here. And, and, and the goal, the purpose of a prism, the unique thing that a prism shows us about scientifically about the world of light is that a pure ray of light through a prism is used for separating the white light passing through it into a spectrum of the colors that are within that ray of light. Now, you might think of Colossians 1.12 in this light that Paul says, when Christ the Lord, through his resurrection glory, placed the redeemed in the kingdom of God, God has given us in Christ indescribably, infinitely wonderful light. He echoes it in 1 John 1.5. The, the beloved apostle John echoes it this way. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and but walk in darkness, John says, we lie. We're liars. Very blunt direct language there. If we say we're walking in fellowship with him, but yet we're walking in darkness, John says we're lying and do not the truth. But 1 John 1, 7 says, if we walk in this light, just as he, Christ, is in the light, we have ongoing fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, that light, Christ, 
is the one who brought us an understanding of real thanksgiving, real gratitude, because he models it in Matthew eleven twenty five. And I've just grabbed a little piece of that prayer of Jesus there for us to think of it this way. The Lord, who would we want to go to most to find out how to have a great thanksgiving? Who would we want to turn to to say, Lord, how could we launch into Thanksgiving week of 2021 the best possible way? And what there could be no better way than to look to Jesus, who modeled it himself. When he prayed in Matthew eleven twenty five, Father, I thank you, Lord of heaven and earth, that you did not reveal these things to the wise and the prudent, it says in the text, but you revealed it to babes. That is, Jesus is thanking the Father here. Now, I find it striking. If we think of giving of thanks, is not only something we should do because, because we are human, it is actually a part of the very nature of the Lord that he's modeling gratitude as a beautiful way of expressing the richness of a relationship. And I'd like you to think of it like this today in four areas that the Bible gives us as keys for a heart of gratitude. Our lives can bring a colorful diversity of expression in four different ways that gratitude is pictured in the Bible. The first one might seem surprising, but it's modeled in the prayer of Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty-five, and it is ministering unto God. There is an aspect of what the Bible tells us about giving thanks that's more than just horizontal. It's more than just, I walked into an elevator in a bank building in Mississippi some years ago, and I, it stuck in my brain. It was around this time of year, and I walked into the elevator, and as the elevator door was closing, I saw this sign that said, um, this season, we're thanking you, our customers. Now, it's a pretty run-of-the-mill, mundane thing that is often there. But I, saw, I was w looking at that sign in that elevator, and I thought, now, isn't that amazing? How, how diminished the truth of Thanksgiving has become, that it has come down to the point that what people think of Thanksgiving is just thanking your customers or thanking your clients or, or, or just kind of g giving out general gifts of meaningless thanks. No, I began to realize, I thought, you know, what we've done is we've lost touch with the magnitude of where real gratitude starts. Real gratitude is God-centered first. And that's what Jesus modeled. That's what Paul modeled in 1 Timothy 1.12, ministering unto God. That expression occurs in Acts chapter 13 where the Bible says that the uh, leaders in the, in the church at Antioch were ministering unto the Lord and fasting. And it was out of that that God brought a very significant birthing of an entire missionary movement out of the church at Antioch. But it goes deeply into the, into the example that we have in how God made his glory known to his people in the Old Testament. The second area of giving thanks is our assurance in Christ. All that we have in him, as we saw in Colossians 1.12, is God bringing the light of the full gift of a living relationship with Christ into each of our lives. Thirdly, giving thanks in the Bible is also described 
as a way to make a decisive turn in our life and our attitude. Spiritual growth does not just happen passively. It happens as the Holy Spirit teaches us to engage our own response to God's word in acts of joyous obedience. Martin Luther summarized the the kind of the two tracks of life in this sense when he said that uh, salvation is all of grace and obedience is all gratitude. We might say salvation is all of grace, discipleship is all gratitude. Gratitude is me responding, giving back to God, and thanksgiving is a tool he gives us to help drastically shift our attitude when we get down in the dumps. I don't know what you call it when a grumpy, lousy attitude comes across your soul. I I think one of my favorite um, descriptions of it was a friend, again, in Mississippi many years ago who used to call it the mully grubs. He said, I got the mully grubs. I don't know, have you ever had the mully grubs? It's just that, you know, it's just that grumpy kind of, sour disposition that comes when you're frustrated about several things and you're under pressure and somebody's disappointed you, you disappointed yourself, uh, you lost your car keys, you, you know, whatever it might have been, and you just get in a bad mood. Well, the beautiful thing is Thanksgiving can help turn that around. Let's think for a minute, and then the influence for God's glory comes, of course, as we act and walk in this. And there's a beautiful examples of the, in the Bible of how it happens. Let's think of these in sequence. First of all, ministering unto God is, is pictured in so many parts of the word of God. Jeremiah 33 is to me a great example of it. In a time in which the circumstances were incredibly bleak, as bleak as we, more bleak than we can possibly imagine, God places the prophet Jeremiah in the unenviable role, a ministry I don't think any of us would ask for, and that was proclaiming to a people who had repeatedly rejected what the Lord had sent them through prophetic and biblical provision, and were now in a place where they were literally losing their country. It's it's striking to think about how Privileges that they had enjoyed since they were little children were now being taken from them as the Babylonians increased their their hegemony over that part of the Middle East. And here Jeremiah is assigned a task by God to proclaim to them that even though you and your fathers and your forefathers have turned a deaf ear to God, God has such great covenant mercy. He's telling you in advance. Right now, you can begin to experience that restoration. So in Jeremiah 33, just getting little glimpses of it here, but Jeremiah 33, he says, "Call God says, call unto me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not yet know and cannot see. So Jeremiah 33 begins with a, a call to prayer, a call like America needs now. Begin to call upon the Lord for your country. Begin to pray for an awakening to the magnitude of the restoring grace of God. And 
like it was in the days of Jeremiah. Even when you look around you and you see things that seem so heartbreaking about your country, call unto the Lord. And as you trace that in that 33rd chapter, then the Lord shows Jeremiah that a result of, of God working mightily in the hearts of people who look beyond the present circumstance to call upon God for his mercy is that there will come a new day. And he puts it this way in the 10th and 11th verse. This city shall again be to me a name of joy as they bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord. Now that whole pattern of bringing thank offerings to the house of the Lord was embedded in a, in a model that originally was given to Moses, was made permanent on Mount Zion by David in the tent of David, and then was bequeathed to us in the awesome words of the Psalms where we read that God had made a way for the tabernacle to be a place that symbolized the future plan of the coming of Jesus. So when they came to Mount Zion to bring their jubilant celebrations, they were acting out in advance the colorful palette, the beautiful portrait that would be painted on God's canvas in the future through the living person of Jesus Christ. Now, Psalm 95 gives one of many little glimpses into that in that he said, let them come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. That was a picture, a foreshadowing of what God in Christ has made available for us. So we can echo what Psalm 111 tells us here. On the right side of that slide, would you read aloud with me the words of Psalm 111? We can activate it by faith. Let's say it together. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. This signals that real thanksgiving begins by ministering unto God. In the Deuteronomy text that we read as we started today, another part of that says that as they discover why God brought them out of that land of bondage and led them through the wilderness all those 40 years, he said, when you realize I'm bringing you into a land of great diversity, of great resources, of great potential, of great beauty. And then he said in Deuteronomy chapter 8, when you see this, when your eyes are open to this, you shall bless the Lord your God. You know, if we didn't do anything else right in this coming week, as a church and as individuals and as families, if we didn't do anything else right, the one thing we could do right is bless the Lord. Minister unto God. Minister to God first. Oh my, and then, of course, gratitude and thanksgiving to loved ones and friends and clients and customers and co-workers and colleagues. That'll all flow because we're ministering unto the Lord. And, and I think a, a neat example of this, I have to reach back uh, now over 170 years into wonderful missions history to tell this, but it's worth it. John G. Patton was a young Scottish 
lad who heard the call of a new mission-focused society in his native land that was concerned about various places that they knew no gospel servant had ever reached with the good news of Jesus Christ and with the scriptures. And one of those was the island called the New Hebrides, at that time totally remote from any kind of civilization. And they knew that on the New Hebrides there were cannibals, that a common practice in the New Hebrides was cannibalism. So naturally the call for missionary volunteers was moving very slowly. And John G. Patton heard that call. Young, young, uh, strapping young guy, loved God with his whole heart, said, I want to go. Count me, here am I. Send me. And people suddenly began to try to talk him out of it. One old gentleman that, that told him he should really not sacrifice the potential of his future on such a, such a daring mission, no matter how noble the reason, John Patton responded to this elderly gentleman by saying, Mr. Dixon, you're advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or worms. He got the nod, and Patton went to the New Hebrides, and he faced many dangers, incredible hardships for many years of service. Like many missionaries, he thought many times he was getting nowhere. One day came a breakthrough where things he had taught in little tribal gatherings, things he had talked about in the villages, things that he had said many, many times, Suddenly, the eyes of one of the tribal leaders opened. He began to realize his heart was polluted by a deep, malicious evil. He needed what only could come from that, that pure ray of light from Jesus Christ. It captivated his heart. Others began to hear. Others began to respond. Hundreds came to the Lord Jesus. A great water baptism service in a river took place with cannibals coming to receive the Lord Jesus in the most savage and remote of conditions. And after the baptisms, within a week, it was time for the first gathering of the newly birthed, yes, church of the New Hebrides. And as Patton gathered them and had instructed them how they would be receiving this, this um, symbolic gift of bread and wine that would bear witness to their brains of the body of the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, who died for them, and the blood he shed that they could be forgiven by the great Creator. Patton talked about how the wonder of it washed across his soul as beginning with the old chief, the new believers began to come forward to receive the bread and the cup. And he described it like this. Solemn prayer was then offered. And in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, this new church 
in Aniwa was formally constituted. The whole service occupied nearly three hours. The islanders looked on with a wonder whose anguished silence was almost painful to bear. Many were let to inquire carefully about everything they saw, so new and so strange. And John said, at the moment when I put the bread and wine into those stained hands, stained with the blood of cannibalism, but now stretched out to receive the emblem and seals of the Redeemer's love, I had a foretaste of the joy of glory that well nigh broke my heart to pieces. That's when he said this, I shall never taste a deeper bliss till I gaze on the glorified face of Jesus himself. What could be greater than to give thanks to God for this kind of deliverance? What could be greater in Thanksgiving week than first to minister unto the Father, then to rejoice that we as guilty and unrighteous before God as naked cannibals on a desolate island who needed Christ's blood in our lives as much as savage cannibals in the middle of the 19th century. Yes, our sin, our need for deliverance is as great as theirs. And the cross of Jesus Christ brings us to this place where after receiving, rejoicing, responding, following Christ as freed and forgiven and redeemed, we can now hear what Colossians 2 6 and 7 says, would you read it aloud with me? As you received Christ Jesus the Lord. How did we receive him? Just like those cannibals. Just as needy as they. In just as deep a condition of lostness as they. Amen? And as you received it, what? Let's say it now. So walk in him, established in the faith as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. <laughs> what a great gift to be able to say to God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for the life you've given me. You know, in Thanksgiving week, um, some of the history of it is now totally lost. People don't even talk about it that much more. But a little piece of it that I learned that I didn't, didn't even know before is that, the, is that the Pilgrim Festival of Thanksgiving in 1620 that we all celebrate was, was certainly not the first. It's the most notable for its turning point in the history of the discovery of the New World. But there is a, there's an intriguing backstory, even to the Pilgrim Festival, that goes back into the days of, of earlier English settlers and explorers who, who were yearning to discover more about what they all knew was a new world, though they couldn't perceive the, geogra the, the geography of it. And uh, in St. Augustine, Florida, which has that distinction of being the oldest, um, the oldest uh, establishment in America, there's a whole bevy of uh, historians in St. Augustine who study these things. And there's a, there's a, a, a pretty well-established uh, well um, history for the idea that possibly the really the first Thanksgiving, <laughs> the possibly, was, was when 
A group of explorers from England in September of 1565 uh, came to St. Augustine. held a celebration in honor of the Lord and gathered together to give thanks. That, whether the circumstances are a little bit misty in history, but what it suggests is that the understanding that a people needed to publicly and corporately gather to give thanks led to a, a deeply embedded understanding. Now, the separatists of England, it, when uh, the king of England around 1603 uh, became both uh, potentate and head of the Church of England, um, there were a number of measures to crack down on the Bible-believing separatists who did not believe that, uh, that they should be under this, this system and believe that the Bible itself is the place where they should turn to understand what it means to have this living relationship with God. So those separatists under great duress, having been chased out of their homes in England and having taken refuge uh, for a season in Holland, then became a part of a, of a, of a combined company of travelers in 1619 that were forming a group that had been referred to as a group of saints and strangers. Out of 103 passengers on the Mayflower, there was a contingent of roughly 55 that were all connected to one of these separatist Bible-believing organizations that was seeking to go and find a place free from tyranny where they could simply read the Bible and worship the Lord God with a free conscience. And then there were a mixture of other travelers, some for mercenary purposes and others of various uh, uh, persuasions. But across the troubled waters of the Atlantic Ocean through fierce storms and bitter cold and great danger, the pilgrims survived and settled at Plymouth Rock in 1620. And in the terror of some of those storms on the sea, their leader, William Bradford, was inscribing as well as he could memos and journals of their experience and preparing a compact, the Mayflower Compact, in which the first established settlement on the shore of America in that era became the seeds from which future freedoms would grow. And among the things that Bradford talked about in establishing a place where open Bibles, open hearts, open doors to come and worship the true and living God would be made available, they cherished it so much that at risk of their own life, they said, we want to give thanks to God who brought us to this land where we can begin to thrive. I think that picture adds a different element to the giving of thanks in 2021. Because many people today, and I've seen it in social media, some of you have, I'm sure, are so ripped apart by the conflicts in our country, epitomized by the drastic responses that people have to various news events that many people are losing that sense 
Is there something distinctive about Thanksgiving in America? And I want to tell you there is. Because there is a timeless power of the covenant grace of God that touched the hearts of these founders. And when it was inscribed in William Bradford's Mayflower Compact, I believe God gave this entire nation a distinct and unique opportunity to to be a place of freedom of freedom of worship freedom of expression freedom of speech the the balanced principles of government that came out of that 150 years later in the revolution all of those things were in seed form and the interesting thing is time doesn't affect god's views of things the way it does ours he didn't change his mind and god's gift to us of their example is very relevant to the November of 2021. Look at what William Bradford said when they suffered such hardships that in one case, before they left, fathers had to get on one voyage that was potentially deadly and leave their wives and children on the shore in custody of others, not knowing what the future would hold for them. The result of that was a successful journey where all the families were on the Mayflower and made it to the new world. Many very sick, many, some among that group died after they landed. But here is what William Bradford reported. These things, these troubles did not dismay them, dismay them though they did sometimes trouble them, for their desires were set on the ways of God and to enjoy his ordinances. But they rested on his providence, and they knew whom they had believed. He echoed the words we started from today in 1 Timothy, when Paul said, I know whom I have believed. Could you say that with me? I know whom I have believed. I don't want to leave you today without very quickly touching on this issue of how this transformational, this giving of thanks can also can also be a decisive turn in your journey of spiritual growth. Now, here's what I mean. I want to give you just one flashpoint before we go because it's so powerful. We've talked about ministering unto the Lord. We've talked about this assurance we have in Christ for which we give thanks. But also, remember, giving thanks is a power tool. It's a power tool. And one example is Ephesians 5.4 where the Bible warns us against letting our lips be full of filthiness, and coarse jesting and foolish talk. And over against that backdrop, Ephesians 5.4 says, the antidote to a mouth that spews out ugly, vile, vulgar, or filthy language, what's the antidote? Well, we might think what some mothers thought when I was growing up, wash their mouth out with soap. But that's not what Ephesians says. Ephesians says, but rather, what? Thanksgiving. That is, there is a way in your lips when you're tempted, as everyone is, to utter words that might be either discouraging, destructive, corrupting, or outright evil. Because the lips of a human being are very, very potentially a tool of such things. But 
the Word of God says there's an antidote. And that antidote, now we might say, oh, well, that's just a kind of, uh, that's not, you don't know the trouble I've seen. You, know, you, don't, you don't know what I've been through. But remember, the reason I want to leave with this today is that giving thanks is not just something we do in, a, in a, an expression of, of praise. It's also something you can bring into the worst day of your week, into the worst moments of your life. You can bring thanksgiving. You say, how would I do that? How would I possibly do that? It's a choice. There's, a, there's an inner training that can take place where we say, Lord, I am going to choose this moment instead of saying what I'd like to say right now. <laughs> maybe on, a, maybe on a, a mobile device. Instead of thumbs moving with these words, <laughs> okay, how about my thumbs on a text or a tweet or a Facebook or something? How about I, instead of that, I back off and I say, I just want to say how thankful I am for what God has done in my life. Now, you might say, oh, that's hard to do. Try it. Try it. Because what will happen is you'll see that giving of thanks brings colorful diversity into your life. And I think it would lead us to do something that would be useful for all of us in this week with our families. Here's a quick family challenge. Ask yourself, how grateful can you get? How thankful can you be? And you can even make a contest out of it. Have a way to say, I'm going to try to out-thank you. I'm going to try to out grateful you and not just in a few expressions around the turkey dinner that's good but also to begin to say how can I put this principle of revolutionary gratitude the vivid colors the colorful diversity that words of thanksgiving bring to life my giving of thanks can minister to God the father my giving of thanks Remind me of the great gift of being saved by Jesus Christ. My giving of thanks is a part of my decisive spiritual growth. My giving of thanks is a gift of influence that can change the way other people perceive their life today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we hear the word of the Lord in 1 Thessalonians 5 that says, In everything give thanks. We know that's not instinctively easy to do. We know how how our tendency is to slip into patterns of griping, of complaining, of fault-finding, of blame-shifting. And certainly in today's media-saturated world, in a world of Facebook and Twitter and, and Instagram and the various mean measures that are there, all of which have great potential for good, we also know that just like the highways and byways of life, they can bring some discouragement, they can bring some, some unnecessary destructiveness into people's lives we ask today that you would train us that we could go from this day being trained by the holy spirit to see giving of thanks not only as a wonderful way to ignite our worship and to bless our families but also as a way to change the direction of our speech give us that grace we pray in jesus name